You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Here's the unfortunate truth right now. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks, we can't expect to have accurate history told by others because true history and scholarship is problematic for certain people and organizations. We're going to have to do this work ourselves, and to do that, we'll have to support each other in this kind of work. Now, anybody who is anybody in fundamentalist circles knows who Drew Briney is. He is perhaps the most prolific author within Mormon fundamentalism. Drew's newest project is something I think all Mormons can benefit from. He is in the process of creating an annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants. Once you have a copy of this, you'll be able to compare current sections with previous versions and also what early LDS leaders had to say about that particular section. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks, we are constantly trying to get back into the minds of the early brethren. This project that Drew is engaged in right now is going to be the ultimate tool to help us do that. Now, because this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants is such a massive undertaking, Drew needs some help from others. Drew's plan for getting this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants out is through crowdfunding. The link for that will be out April 4th. If you want more details sooner, go to Drew's Facebook page and message him from there, and he'll give you all the details. Further, on Saturday, April 8th, I'll be releasing an episode that talks about this project in greater detail. So please, if you feel impressed to do so and have the means, I'd humbly ask that you reach out to Drew and support this project that will help advance the scholarship and true doctrine of the restored gospel. Because of your generosity last year, I was able to buy better audio equipment and software. I can't tell you how much it meant to me that not only did you spend your time here with me on the podcast, but also that you found enough value in what I'm doing that you donated the podcast to upgrade it. This year, I want to continue to grow. Now, I want to add video to the podcast, continue to help you, my guests, and myself connect better through the show. The other feature I'm working on for this podcast is something I have to remain vague about for now. But what I can say is that it's something that will help us better connect as fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks. Now, to get that equipment for the video content I want to do and to build the infrastructure for the other project with this podcast, donations would certainly be welcome. Or you can go to mormonrenegade.com, click that supply store button, and get some new swag. New stuff will be out soon as well. Now, if you can't afford to do either of those two things, I totally get it. Maybe just keep the podcast in your prayers that we'll be blessed with those resources. Again, thank you for everything you do as well as for listening to the podcast. Well, Orson, how you doing? I'm doing super. I can't tell you how excited I am for this conversation. We within the gospel, I think and, and rightfully so, we focus on Joseph and Brigham and and we should focus there. But sometimes I feel like these early fundamentalist brethren don't get some of the their credit that's due because they really kept the the God the gospel in its fullness alive in a time when it could have easily have just been watered down and gone away. So the fact you and I get to sit down here and have a conversation about Ruin Allred, I think is just absolutely amazing. 
Now you you knew Ruin um, personally, right? Very very personally, yes. How Hundreds long? Oh wow! How long did you know him for? From nineteen sixty four. Wow. Wow. That's that's quite a long time. And he was assassinated in what year again? 1977. 77. So you knew him for for the better part of 13 years. Almost 14 years. He even came to me a couple times after he passed away and talked with me. We'll want to get that story later on for sure. So when when was the first time you met Ruin Allred? Gloria Dawn and I rode with her parents from Richmond, Utah, to my best recollection in 1964, and he was conducting a meeting there in Murray in uh, Owen Allred's, I think it was a five-car garage, but it was set up so that people can that's the first time we met him what was your first thoughts as you met him right it's one thing to hear about a guy but it's another thing to actually meet that individual um if we look at 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 some accounts of joseph smith people would hear about the prophet joseph and they would just immediately for whatever reason their minds went to um a guy who would maybe look like moses or you know, an Old Testament prophet. And then they were kind of taken aback at first when they met Joseph because he didn't look like that. He didn't, quote, fit that mold. What what was your, did you know about Ruin Allred before you went to this meeting? Had you heard about him? I had heard, yes, because we'd been studying about the fullness for several months. Uh, because of Gerald Sr. and Faye Peterson. But when when we went to the meeting, I was very nervous. And as we sat into the building, I was just questioning how in the world could you be living plural marriage in this day and age? My focus wasn't on him as an individual. My focus was on how in the world could this be done? And then Sham Jessup and two wives sat right in front of us. And once they sat in front of us, the Spirit of God came over me and said, yes, it can be done this day and age. So we didn't meet him personally. I mean, we met him, but we met 50, 60, 70 other people. It was a a shotgun of meetings. And so I wasn't really focused on him any more than I was anybody else because he had other people's talk, not just he himself talk. When, when you first heard him talk, what was your, do you remember having an impression or thoughts or anything like that? Uh, my mind was just anxious to know what the truth was and how all of this fit with the church and the priesthood. I, I mean, 
there was a very positive feeling, but I was still in the inquiring stages. I had not had a witness that he held the keys, nor did my wife, Gloria Dawn, but we did have a witness of the principal. Okay. All right. So, so you gained kind of a testimony of plural marriage and then, um, off of that, you started to investigate what I assume would be the AUB at this point. Is that correct or incorrect? That is correct. That It wasn't called the AUB at that time. That was a name that was taken up a number of years later, but it was called the All Red Group. Of course, okay. it's the priesthood. Uh, just within about a block and a half, there was other meetings by other fundamentalist organizations by... Uh, guy messer so there was them all over but anyway you go right ahead no no you're just fine i just enjoy hearing about this this sort of stuff and uh more of you and less of me is always a good thing orison so um when when was the first time you met him face to face the first time we really met him meaning one-on-one we had had a, and I, I will just do a generalization on this. Sure. Gloria Dawn and I, within two weeks of being married, prayed about a lot of things. And we prayed about how God manages many different things and what his will was. And one night we got an answer. And I won't go into the full detail, but other than to say, the answer came, yes, my daughter, and only in this way can plural marriage be lived righteously, which shocked us. So we asked her dad, which was on the high council the following week, what he knew about this. He didn't answer our question, but he directed it to the answer. And that was only in this way can plural marriage be lived righteously. He handed us a lot of books. Well, so when we went to the meetings, we decided we are going to ask this man that very question. So we asked for audience. We asked him the question. And he very graciously said, well, that'd be wonderful. The Lord will bless you if that's what you'd like to do. So he had to leave. Within a few days, he calls Gerald Sr. and said, I've done wrong with those kids. I need to have them come back. So we came back and he sat down and he gave detail after detail after detail. He said, here's the rules. Here's the laws. This is what Joseph Smith was instructed by the Savior and all the key holders have taught this. So from that point on, we we had an open door to go and talk with him. I remember one time he, he and I and Gloria Dawn were in the back of a car riding to a wedding reception. And this is before we ever moved to Montana. And Gloria Dawn being, forgive me if I cry. You're Gloria fine. Very psychic. Said Brother Ruland. You're in pain, aren't you? And he said, yes, my dear. I have a bleeding ulcer. 
and it's always plaguing me. Uh, we got into many things privately that we talked about that many times he said, uh, you, you can't talk about this outside of my presence, but I'm only doing this because somehow the Lord has caused you to be curious and wanting to know these truths. When we moved to Montana, and that was round numbers 1965, we moved right next door to his family, one of his families, and her name was Ethel. Now, we were young kids, and I, you know, no matter what, when you put a lot of people together, there's going to be armpit relationships. <laughs> Explain what an armpit relationship is for anyone who doesn't know. Well, <laughs> Webster hasn't come up with this yet. <laughs> we'll have to talk to him. You start becoming familiar with their weaknesses and shortcomings. Familiarity breeds contempt. However, with the highest level of charity, that doesn't matter. The, the love increases. Anyway, so he gave instructions to his wife, Ethel, keep an eye on those kids, have them over often. And we were full of questions. Oh, by, the, by this time, when we moved to Montana, we both had a witness that he held the keys. So we, we did not do a lot until, I mean, we attended meetings, but we were not asked to be engaged in things until we, till we had a witness. And I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up. Okay. Uh, we were, we were so anxious to learn. And every time he talked, we were living in the top of a, an up or down house. And we had been studying a lot and studying a lot just, excited about everything we were learning and and uh, Gloria's dad said my dears you've got to ask who holds the keys just understanding all these things there's many people yes just knowing this knowledge is valuable but you gotta know who holds the keys so we got serious about well who holds the keys and Gloria Dawn Gloria Dawn all of a sudden had a light coming down the hall. And it scared the heck out of her that this light was coming down the hall. She got under the covers and then she felt very comfortable and she looked again. And then in this light, there was a book and the book opened up and there was page after page after page of ladies and then it came to a blank set of pages and in the very very center of the pages of the crease of the book as it's open there was a little teeny square and she kept looking and the square got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it was a picture of Roland and then she heard a voice say this man is approved of God wow so before you guys moved to Montana, you had a very profound witness that Ruin Allred held the keys. 
absolutely. I mean, a a heavenly sent vision to instill this idea that it was ruin that held the keys. That is correct. Absolutely. Wow. We were perfect, but God made very clear sure uh, to give us that witness. And Gerald Peterson was absolutely right. It's absolutely essential. Wow. So before we go forward with your story on uh, in Montana, I want to ask you some background information that you may or may not know. And it, it's fine either way if you do or if you don't. But where was Ruben born? Was he born here in Utah? Uh, you know, I can't remember if it was Mexico just before or if it was in Idaho. Okay. But he was the the son of the second wife. Uh, and they were really trying to keep hit out during that period of time. Uh, but the first wife died, so then his father gathered together all the family and the second wife now raised the children of the first wife and they spent a lot of time in Idaho. Uh, then he, his father ended up being in Congress in, in the Idaho place. And then he ended up going up into Canada uh, they lived in Canada for one or two years, and they came back down and lived in the Boise area. During all this period of time, they were trying to be very careful in exposing anybody that was living PM because they were putting him in jail, uh, creating lots and lots of trouble. Uh, Brother Rulin, Rulin decided that he was going to be a doctor. And he decided that he was going to be extremely active in the church, that he was not that interested in plural marriage. Plural marriage was not being talked about. They tried not to talk about it. Uh, And I know that sounds contradictory, but they tried not to because of all the legal actions and the people were trying to, from the government and, and even people in the church. So he ends up going to California to get a medical degree as a naturopath. Uh, by the way, he passed a lot of tests that would, would have given him other licenses besides being a naturopath, but he stayed with naturopath because it felt more like what he wanted and represented his feeling. His father, Byron Harvey Allred, was given by the Lord. And I think Joseph Musser says, you need to check with, you need to work with your son, Rulin. Well, Rulin decided, well, I am going to convert my dad back to the church. He's a good man. My mother's a good woman. There's no sense they're not in the church. So he gathers all of his, his documental ammunition and he comes up and he says, dad, you promise you'll let me go through all this because I want you back in the church. And his dad's, okay, son, you go for it. <laughs> and went long periods of time, long periods of time when he got through, his father had made notes on everything that he had been talking about. He says, okay, Rulin, my dear son, uh, we're going to go on this. We're going to ask the Lord to help this to come over. 
before long, Ruin blew it. Just my dad blew my mind. He wasn't as free to go into all of this because the, the legal problems were so, so hectic. And then he says, oh, my word. It's right. So then he's, he's back in California trying to tell his wife, hey, my dad's right. The church is still the Church of Jesus Christ, but they are not doing everything. And if you and I want to be married for eternity, we've got to advance. She didn't go for it. Uh, she fluttered back and forth. She finally divorced him. Uh, he came back and forth numerous times to Utah uh, when he finally got his degree. And uh, now I've covered some of the area. Do I need to go back? Do you want more detail of the back? I, I just got a few more questions is all here, Orson. Okay. So he's, he's born in, in 1906. And it sounds like he's born down in the colonies, right? So he this this is at, at that time in history within the LDS Church where they basically have said, yes, we've abandoned polygamy publicly, but they're setting up colonies in different areas for plural marriage to still be lived. So he's really born right in the thick of this transition, so to speak, within the church where 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 they're the the modern church so to speak that we know of today the lds church is beginning to come forth out of those fundamentalist uh, uh or i should say early church teachings so i feel like he's got he's born into an exceptional time within within restorational history um so you, you covered all that time there when is it that Ruan himself gets the keys of the priesthood, and who did he get those from? Oh, that's a lot of details, so I'm just going to give you the generalities. Okay. After Ruan had come back up, and he was established, he had, like, at this time, I think, four wives, uh, which that came into his family very quickly. He... He's very well educated. Uh, there isn't a subject you could talk about that he didn't understand. Very clerically skillful. Uh, Joseph Musser had a lot of problems in trying to keep track of records. Uh, Charles Zitting being one of the council, there, there was Rulin Jeff, several others in the council that were not taking care of him. And so he finally asked Rillen if you'll come and start taking care of these records. Well, this got some resistance by some of the brethren. It really got the resistance when in a very short period of time, he had it all taken care of, which was a little bit overwhelming. How did he get this all done so quickly? Uh, there was words at first, and I'm quoting Joseph Musser. Now, the, the line of the, the seniority, you normally take he whoever is a senior to set him up to have the keys as the second brother in the elder of the, of the priesthood. And of course, at that time would have been Charles Zitting. 
However, there's another part of the law, and that is if, if you have a son that's worthy in that council, he is also eligible for that position. And Joseph Musser's heart was, I would just love to have my son because I know my days are getting further down and further down. But then the spirit just kept telling him to talk to Ruland. But at the same time, he was realizing, wow, just the little I've had Ruland do, the council has been getting pretty upset. I've got to just work with this. So he tried to incorporate Ruland to do more things, and he still had not been put on the council, but he was still wanting him to do more things. Now, he was a doctor. Uh, Joseph Musser had a, uh, oh, the word's totally lost, where you lose control of certain functions in your, your body. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the term. It's a very common term, but I just can't remember right now. But it was, it had nothing to do with reasoning. It only had to do with the coordination of his physical body. So okay. Ruben was called numerous times to come help him. The council became more and more. Brother Orson, I think I lost you again. Suspicious. And, and once again, I'm, there's a lot of details, but the generalities is it was very clearly made known to him in the midst of this. Ruin is to be the one you set apart to hold the keys. But he's trying to do this in a way so he doesn't lose all the people. He just so at didn't what, want to at, at what point destroy all of the people, which eventually it almost did. Brother, it finally gets to the point that he's wanting to let them know that he wants Rulin to be in the council. He's hoping they will accept that. God's hoping they will accept that, but they won't accept it. And so there's two or three other issues that are taking place, some things in Colorado City that are taking place that shouldn't be taking place. Uh, and he actually sends him down and uh, another brother down to Colorado City to investigate, finding out there's too many men down there that are making contracts with other men for wives Ugh. and not allowing, not Joseph Smusser doesn't even know about it. And sometimes there's some ceilings take place. Lyman Jessup all of, all of a sudden finds out his daughter's married, goes to Joseph Musser and says, how come? What's going on? He says, my word. Go down there and get her out of there. I never gave that permission. The Lord's never sanctioned it. So lots and lots of friction until finally Joseph Musser says, brethren, we've got to live the... We're starting to come up with all of our own imaginations we've got to go back to joseph smith and the rules and the regulations the principle well they re only one man accepted ruling to be in the council which one I, I can't remember at this point at the very beginning uh too many of them in fact there's two or three times 
that, and I've read, and I don't know if I've given them to you, but there is a, in, in, uh, a review that Brother Ruland goes through in the 70s class, and I need to give that to you, where he talks about all of the transitions, all the friction, but there was a time that several of them said they would be willing to kill Ruland, that he oh. had no right to come in and do all this. He's taking advantage of Joseph Musser. Uh, so finally, Ruland not only set him apart with the keys, but he called in others and he told him, you get others to come in. Uh, you're dealing with Owen. You're dealing with Marvin Allred. You're dealing with Orm Lavery. You're dealing with uh, Joseph Thompson. I can't remember if there was another one right now at the top of my head. So it was a very heartbreaking transition and probably three-fourths of the people totally left. Uh, the Mussers were a minority of, of the numbers of people. Jessops and Jensen's and Johnson's were the majority people. And uh, so at that point, Colorado City just more or less said, Joseph Musser, ruling all red, go jump from the lake. We are going to be in charge here. You have nothing to say. I want to make note, when Colorado City was set up, it was set up honorably under the direction of Joseph Musser with John Way Barlow. But then it totally went it totally went to some other entity. Wow. Wow. It's so fascinating to learn about this history. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Ruin Allred, because his shadow still remains. And, and I don't mean shadow in a bad way. Basically, anybody, a lot, I shouldn't say everybody, but a good portion of fundamentalists can trace their priesthood lineage right back to Ruin Allred at some point. And it's super important that we we be able to to get a sense of who this man was. So I, I'm loving this a lot. Well I would like to tell you about his personality. Yes. His person, his principles. Uh Gerald Peterson had been getting revelation from the time he was about 21 until he was 41 that he would be living plural marriage, but he was to stay in the church. At approximately the age 41, he was told, I will now reveal to you he holds the keys of this priesthood. By this time, Gerald Peterson Sr. had knew all of the 12 apostles of the church personally knew David O. McKay and Ezra Taft Benson, Hubie Brown, knew all of them. And, and why, why maybe did it? Because he had brought in so many people into activity. Wherever he was put, he brought in a lot of people in activity. So all of, well, we want to meet that brother Peterson. The 30% or 40% attendance always jumps up whatever he's in charge of. We want to meet him. And so he and his wife, Faye, 
personally knew David Okay, personally shook hands, personally knew his wife. They, they probably knew both of the wives, but at that time, but didn't realize it. But <laughs> in this one meeting, Gerald Peterson is told prior to the meeting, the Lord saying, my son, I'm now going to reveal to you he who holds the keys of this priesthood. He goes to the meeting. Ruin Nalred is the one that's giving the presentation. And it's a naturopathic meeting. They're both naturopathic doctors by now. And he was just, uh, what? How can this be? <laughs> He's just a doctor. I was expecting Ezra Taft Benson to come knocking on my door or David O. McKay to send somebody. I don't understand this. So he goes, he grabs him after and he says, Dr. Allred, my name's Dr. Peterson. And he's very having a very difficult time. Uh, keep in mind, when I say difficult time, he's dealt with lawyers. He's dealt with all kinds of the people. I mean, brilliant man. Uh, but right now, he's looking at this man, this is a stranger, and saying, did God tell me that man holds the keys? Well, I'm going to give it a chance says, Dr. Allred, do you hold the keys? And Dr. Allred looked him in the eye and says, Dr. Peterson, you have already been told. And he said the second time he thought he was going to pass out. How can this be? He chased him down, wanted to meet with him. And so secretly met with him for some period of time. Then after a while, Gerald Peterson said to Rulin, after he had learned a lot, he'd loaned him a lot of books he helped had to keep secret. And keep in mind, he's in the high council in northern uh, North Cash. So he's not just keeping his wife and kids, but everybody from seeing all these documented books. Uh, one day, I've lost track. Oh, yes. So he goes to Rulin this one time and he says, Rulin, I don't know what to do about my wife. I'm not, you know, many, many, many years ago, she was not have any interest in learning, doing the living plural marriage. She said on the condition, the president of the church asked her to, then she would know it was time. What am I supposed to do? Divorce her? And he paused. The spirit of the Lord came over and said, no. She's a good woman. You bring her to me and I will just introduce myself and become acquainted with her. So the next time they were in town, they dropped off in the front of the office. He ran in real quick, said, hey, she's out here. Brother Rulin excused himself from a patient, went out, extended his house, his hand. By this time, she knew he's a polygamist. And in her mind, oh, boy. All these guys like is just sex after sex after sex. I don't know if I want to touch this man at all, but I will be courteous. And he rolls, she rolls the window down and they shake hands and they talk for two or three minutes just on a medical basis. How's the weather? And then they take off. And then as they take off, she starts crying. She says, Gerald, I don't understand. He's a polygamist, but the spirit he radiates is as strong or stronger than David O. McKay's. How in the 
the world can that be? And then Gerald tells all that he's been doing the last 20 years. Uh, Brother Rulin, a brilliant man, very intelligent man, very courteous, uh, very kind, very affectionate. I remember, keep in mind when I and Gloria Dawn came into the work, the law had dropped tremendously from, it still arrested people, but it was nothing like it was 10 years before. Anytime he came to a meeting and he was in the meeting, if he had four wives, three wives, six wives in there, he would get there on time so that he could go and take the hand of one of his wives and give him a little kiss and say, I love you. And sometimes they'd be lined up. Sometimes he'd go from one point to another. He was very kind, very affectionate. And he was always eulogizing the greatness and the wonderfulness of good wives that place their bodies into the shadow of death to bring babies into the world. Now you go ahead and ask more questions. Well, I, I just want to point out first that even from the beginning of what we consider modern fundamentalism now, there seems to be this misconception that, you know, the, these guys are, are requiring their wives to basically go to bed whenever they say. And what I encountered when I was first investigating fundamentalism and, and subsequently all the way through is that that's not the case whatsoever. And the, many of these women have the ability, even the responsibility of, of being able to, to just tell somebody no. And by these early fundamentalist brethren, they, they, they respected that. And I think that comes through when, in, in the stories you're telling here about Ruin, that he was, he was very much concerned with the comfort and happiness of his wives. And I think that's something that often gets lost in history and in the propaganda that we see coming out of mainstream media about fundamentalism. So I, I appreciate you telling those stories. So I, I want to go back to your interactions with Ruin because I think those are important. It's one thing to know the history of somebody. It's another thing to talk to people who had personal interactions with that person, because I think that speaks more about that person than maybe, you know, he was born on this date and died on this date and he did these things. It's those day-to-day -day interactions that I think speak volumes about who a person really is. So let's get back to Montana. You said you moved to Montana and Ruin gave one of his wives a very specific task to keep an eye on you and your wife. Why was that? Uh, we were green. And once again, the armpit principle. Uh, and I, I want to make sure this comes over in proper balance when you get a lot of people together, you're gonna to have a lot of different ideas and there could be some frictions. And sometimes a friction may throw a person. May I go back to the time of Jesus with the 12 apostles and the sisters. 
there were there were frictions numerous times in in both cases mary and martha and other sisters too and other brethren well there was frictions on the other hand there was a lot of righteousness and a lot of goodness and brother Rulin did not want it to be such that we oh my word this guy actually cussed this day when when he smashed his thumb with a hammer oh my word we didn't think polygamists would ever swear but this one did oh oh this can't be true i'm going back to mormon church you know i'm exaggerating right right yep uh and uh on the other hand both Gloria, Don, and I were extremely hungry to learn the truth. Now, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but even though I was converted to the principle and I believed in the principle, I kept praying that God would give the wives to someone else. I want some more time. <laughs> my wife, Gloria, Don, was constantly trying to keep an eye on somebody. And Brother Rulin numerous times was calling me up, says, I want you to go see so-and-so. Or he would send Gerald Sr. to me, or he would send John Ray to me. I would like Brother Orson to go see so-and-so. Uh, and that was awkward for me. Uh, then after a while, I got liking a couple of them, but then they married somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Ruin was trying to, to, to kind of help you along in living the principle of plural marriage, it sounds like. Yes, he was. This, I went to him after a couple of them got married, and I said, Brother Ruin, if you knew, and, and I'm not saying that he did know, but I, I said it in the, in the tense that, well, Brother Ruin, if you knew they were going to marry somebody else anyway, why did you send me? And he kind of grinned and he said, or your experience. <laughs> and I thought, that's a cop out. <laughs> this time went on, I thought, you know, I would have never on my, my own. I mean, Gloria Don kept pushing me, but I would have never on my own. But he did. So there, there's times we lived on the one end of the property. We're talking hundreds of acres, okay? Okay. Uh, we lived at the far north. I'm trying to remember it was the far north. I've lost track. Even though I'd just been up there a month ago, I think it was the far north. And so we were the farthest together. So sometimes when Rulin was there on a weekend, I would ride with Rulin and Gloria Dawn would ride with, or I would take Rulin and, and, and two or three of his sons, and then Gloria would ride with Ethel and the daughters. And so every chance I got, I would ask him questions. And let me just explain a principle here. I, this is difficult, but Brother Rulin, if, you, if you're in a classroom, Let's say there's six grades in one room. And if a third grader asked a fourth grade question, Brother Ruin could tell, well, they're not going to be able to answer it, understand it on the fourth grade level. I can only answer it on a third grade level. 
then a sixth grader asks that same question, he would answer it different. So according to your level of development, he would answer the question. Uh, mm. And there could be many different things. So there's times that I would get with him and I would say, figuratively speaking, I'd say, Brother Ruin, I want to get a sixth grade answer to this question. I don't want a second or third grade answer. Now, most of the time he would give it, but many times he would tell me, you can't be passing this on. I'm giving this to you in confident, confidential. I'm giving it confidentially. Uh, now, uh, I mean, I'm okay. I, I would like very much to tell a point here because this, it all has to do with our relationship that we knew Brother Ruin. I hugged Brother Ruin. I ate with Brother Ruin. I worked on his houses. He blessed my my family. He sealed people to me, gave patriarchal blessings. I mean, we worked together. He gave assignments to me with different councilmen, whether it was political to, to get rid of Carter, whether it was to in the state of Utah to, to campaign for a different governor. I, I mean, I did many things, but once again, there in Montana, whoops, I'm, I'm gonna slip here. Back to, cause there's an important element that needs to be understood here. Brother Ruland personally knew David O. McKay. They personally had a relationship. David Null personally knew that Ruland C. Allred held the presiding keys and that he held the keys of the church. Now, how did all this happen? Because he asked in the very beginning, he asked Gerald Sr. and his wife if they would take a family that had a lot of children. And they thought in the sense that, wow, you know, we're looking at maybe one wife that we can kind of hide here, hide there, but a whole family. So they decide they're going to pray about it. We're definitely going to pray about it. And they both individually have a dream where David O. McKay appears to them in the dream and says to both of them, yes, you move forward in living plural marriage, but do not hurt me or the keys. So they went mm -hmm. to him the following week and said, how come David O. McKay will be doing this? And then that's when he revealed to him, Many years before, David O. McKay was made known to him. The Savior personally came to him and let him know that he only has the keys to the church and that he has to live plural marriage and he has, he has, uh, has more than one wife. Now, when I say that he has a second one, it doesn't mean there isn't five, but we just know that the second one was always there. And there was a brother named, oh boy, please. I've got Gary Watson, Gary Watson. Gary Watson was a liaison between Rulin and David O. McKay. And David Ooh. O. McKay would hand him a list of people that he felt should be taught the fullness on paper. I, I want you to stop without verbalizing it. Brother Orson, this is a super important point. And I was wondering if you could say that one more time, who the gentleman was that delivered the papers. And then, Gary 
Okay. So, and, and I'm going to restate this just to make sure we're clear here. So David O. McKay, and I've heard this rumor for years, had a, had a second wife. Do we know what her name was by chance? We do, but I can't remember it. Okay. All right. So David O. McKay has a second wife. He has a personal visitation by the Savior, which says, hey, you have the keys to the church, but the keys of the priesthood, that rests with ruin. Yes. And so David O. McKay, and, and this is just fascinating, because I've heard this on uh, from more than one person on several occasions. David O. McKay would then go and, through his interactions with different people in the church, would say, that person or that family needs to be taught the fullness. And at that time, he would direct Ruin through these uh, paper, through this list that was delivered by Gary Watson. And then Ruin would go teach these people the fullness. Is that correct? Uh, in general, there's, I, I will quote Gary Watson. Gary Watson, when he would meet, he, it was his understanding that there were people coming to David O. McKay every week said we want to live plural marriage why can't we live plural marriage and the bulk of them Dave and Oma Kay said the spirit said they're not ready and they're not worthy but there were a few that were ready and he would take those names down but he would never converse with them that oh yeah I'll, I'll send someone right over because he had to protect mm. himself from the church so he would keep a list like that and then when Gary watched Brother Ruin and now I want to be sure in a whatever period of time before Gary Wad Ruin died up to 1970, actually up to 1980, up to 1980, I still met with Gary Watson. He had a cabin in Cedar Canyon and he came down. He had a home several places. He wanted me to take a look at his cabin. And I asked him again, I think that's the last time I ever asked him, the last time I ever saw him. I said, I want to hear it again. Ruland had a letter with information he wanted David O. McKay to read. And you would take it up and you would go through the normal introduction to get through and get let his secretary come meet him. And then you would have just you just ordinary little questions to ask that you would talk about because David O'McKay, according to Gary Watson, was very convinced that there were several apostles that suspected that his secretary was his second wife. And so he did not want anything spoken that was recorded that would be too revealing. So that's why almost everything was written, even though they did talk and they had symbolism. And Gary Watson said, yes, that's what I did. Now, there was he was the main one that I was aware of, but I did not know that until David O'Bakay died. Then Gerald let it be known because he had been told by Ruin. So I want to know, well, who was one of the liaisons? Well, it was Gary Watson. And just so that you know, which is ironic, uh, in 2017, it was, I think I was in Montana, and most people didn't know anything about it, even in the Allreds. I mean, we 
I was called on, I was called on numerous assignments. Some were very dangerous assignments, a matter of the FBI. And I don't know if I need that recorded or not, but Salt Lake County Sheriff. Uh, but, oh, I'm going, I'm going to set that aside. One day, one day an airplane lands in the, the meadow up there. And a car runs out there real quick. We're talking Pinesdale, okay? Okay. And if I, this part, I can't remember for sure, but I think it was Ken Spencer, which I just saw him a few months ago. And an FBI agent jumps in and drives to see Rulin. Rulin talks to him, maybe 10 minutes, drives back. The FBI agent takes off. There's many times that there were FBI agents that thought that this was completely malarkey, total baloney, that they would be arresting a man that was such a godly good man. They could care less about PM, but they knew that he stood up for freedom and agency and to protect the innocent. And uh, they hated their job when they had to do it. But when he was finally out, they were, there were, Two or three of them that, and, and in the Salt Lake uh, uh, Agency, too, not FBI, but uh, Salt Lake County Sheriff's Department, they became good friends with him and it saved people's lives. There's numerous times. Uh, Brother Rulin, there was some friction. When I, we're in Montana, I'm going to get back. Brilliant engineer. I mean, he was a designer, but he looks like he looked like a guy out of the Ozark Hills with the beard and everything. But he was skillful, brilliant, and he had a brilliant mind. Uh, he uh, he decided he wanted to change some of the ideas, principles, and Brother Rulin had to bring him to task. Uh, before long, he was now trying to blame Rulin for a lot of things. Uh, plus, in the very beginning stages, he could be corrected. So in these beginning stages, sometimes he would get into arguments with uh, oh, Morris Jessup and Ted Wild, or Ted Weidel, I mean. And one time they got in a fight and I stepped in front of them guys, please stop. We're Zion, aren't we? And they laughed and stopped. Well, there got to be so much friction in this one particular period of time. I thought, you know, my wife, Gloria Dunn, was back in Utah betting, bet, uh, getting close to deliver a second baby. So she was right where she was within just 30 minutes of a doctor, which was her dad. Uh, at that particular period of time. And I thought, oh, my word, I couldn't go any further. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to head right to Murray. I'm going to go let Ruin know what's going on. Now, nobody knew that I had left. Gloria Dunn didn't know. Nobody. And I pulled in 
I pulled into the Murray office about 10 o'clock in the morning. And as I walked in, Rulin saw me. And he said, Brother Bill, I've been expecting you. Come right in and talk to me. Now, what does that do to you? Just nobody knew. And yet, he knew. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay, good. Uh, there's times we, there was a water system that we had to build. Brother Rulin, Brother Rulin, Brother Rulin had been used, I mean, whether it was breaking horses or doing cattle, rounding, he'd done that in these, up in Idaho and up in, in, uh, uh, Canada. Uh, I don't know. There's so many stories. I got to tell this about Canada. All the sons were there and they were all logging. And one of the chain locks snapped, broke. When it broke or it broke its connection, it swung around and it broke. It broke Brian Harvey's legs halfway between his knees and his ankles. And they had to pick him up and they had to do the best they could with bags or clothes or anything, put him on top of the logs as they hauled it all the way back down. And he had some older sons that were older than Rulin, but he got them on. And, and keep in mind, they're going to the they're going to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, so they're participating that way. And he said, lay me on the table. All of you lift me on the table. And he picked some of them. I want you to give me a blessing. And so they did. They gave him a blessing. The, the next morning, he got up and went to work. Both legs had been healed. Wow. Brother Rulin was always talking about miracles and healings. Uh, anyway, he was very capable of working very dexterous very and yet it was not abnormal to deliver two babies in a night and then go and cover uh a full practice during the day but this one particular weekend and it could have been two weekends brother rule says we are getting all of these raspberries or choke cherry not choke cherries it was some of berries and we're all going to work together and put plant them and so we did he's right out there digging away putting it in just like the 20 year olds the 18 year olds the 40 year olds and he was like i think at that time he's a little above 50 years old at that particular period of time uh i know i'm bouncing around a little bit but no you're good it's not it was not abnormal. He would <laughs> now he may get a ticket for this. <laughs> Brother Ruin, when he would leave Salt Lake, and it wasn't always the same, but usually it was a weekend. He'd ask the Lord, Will you protect me? Help me that I can get up there safely. And then he'd stick it at 85, 90 miles an hour. <laughs> obviously it wasn't safe he wouldn't but he would get there in the middle of the night 
and be with he had two wives up there at the time he had, most of his wives were down south in the salt lake provo valley right and he'd be up bright and shiny he'd deal with this wife and deal with that wife and then deal with brethren uh and ethel so ethel would see him approximately two times every three weeks two times wow and she would say to me many many times i won't say many times but numerous times i would rather be married to a man that i know can get me to the celestial kingdom even if i only see him every three weeks than a man that i see every day that i have questions whether he can even get me to the bottom of the deep celestial kingdom and she loved him with a with a virtue uh as a girl the spirit kept telling her that's who she was supposed to marry and she stood up and defended him numerous times she showed him honor she showed him respect he showed her respect he showed all of his wives respect. He may have the keys, but he believed in stewardships. Okay. In the kitchen, that's a wife's wife's stewardship. The husband can come in and offer to help. He can even surprise her and get the dishes done. But when she he goes in there and she's there, she's the boss. You make sure you find out whose stewardship you're in. And then you follow according to their rules in their stewardship. And some say, well, gee, he's a, he's a priesthood. He should be telling her. He does have a right to, but he doesn't have a right to. Whatever the stewardship, Brother Rulin wanted to make sure. If it was a deacon and he wanted, unless he was making a mess, if the deacon wanted to do something just a certain way and it wasn't perfect, Brother Rule wouldn't interfere as long as the job get done orderly. He hmm. would only get to the point if there was something that was out of order and then he would ask advice. Uh, you know, if, for example, I'm making this up and yet this is a reality. If the husband says, I absolutely do not want my wives milking goats, Brother Rulin said, okay, that's your stewardship. I'm not going to, but your neighbor, he wants his wives to milk goats. I will sustain both of you in your stewardship. Now, if any of your wives are being misused, not being treated right, I don't care about the goats. But if they're not being treated right and they come to me, I will have a talk with you because women are not chattel. Women are special sisters of God and they need to be treated with the highest level of respect and appreciation. Now that was, that's how we always talk. Uh, you know, that's so inspiring to hear, right? I mean, this is a guy who is loved by his community. This is a guy who holds the keys, but yet he he gives people room to grow, right? 
and he's, and he he also gives room to understand not every family is going to be the same right you you use the 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 example of of milking goats or or whatnot he understood that that different families will have different um oh different personalities i guess so to speak and he gave people room to be who they were despite his immense position in regards to those people and that is just absolutely one of those things that just screams servant leadership which is something that's i I feel like is sorely needed today in a lot of ways right this idea of yeah he's a leader but he's also there because he loves us and he's he's trying to do best by god and by us and by his family praise the lord uh brother Rulin had and i i don't know what it was let me back up a little bit here the latter part of my mission i was in charge of los angeles and being in charge of los angeles i lived right close to the mission home and right by the santa monica temple so there were numerous times that there were apostles that would come there because that was the headquarters of the whole mission and i would meet them and become acquainted with them shake hands with them have associations with them i met all of them excuse me i won't say i met all of them i probably met at least eight of all of them even some that eventually became presidents of the church and and they were gentlemen they're courteous but there were two men that stood far ahead of those Gerald Sr. and Rulin Allred. They just emanated this air of, I, I know what the Lord wants. I'm going to exemplify what the Lord, Lord wants. And, and one of the biggest things about being a leader, you've just underlined, making sure you protect agency. That's, that's one of the reasons the FBI agents loved him and that the, uh, the sheriffs loved him because they knew he was out there to, to protect the agency of people, give people the right. Uh, now, let me, uh, let me think here. He had, a, he had two homes up there. Physically, there was just no way that he would be able to do a lot of work on his homes every three weeks. Just there was no way. And be able to take care of all the brothers and the sisters that wanted questions answered, plus spending time with these wives and these kids. Now, when I say there's no way, I guess he could say, okay, everybody over here Saturday. And we're going to work on my house while we all talk gospel while we're working on my house. He could have done that, but all the time that I was there, he never did. He never did. Now, I helped on his house numerous times. And, but going back to Ethel again, Ethel was able to organize and recruit her home. Her home was, it, it was, uh, the home's still there. I was just in there four weeks ago. The home was old. It was uh, 
make do, but the make do was orderly. The make do was safe. The make do was clean. She would make sure everything was orderly and how the one wife died in the, from the other house. Her name was Ruth. Uh, and so Ethel ended up taking care of some of the kids that was with that wife. Mm. And every time we would go in to that home, very orderly, she taught and she said, this is, of course, what, what Rulin would want. And it's not, it's what I want. I mean, I want my home to be orderly. Brother Rulin tried to have everything orderly, but at the same time, giving uh, agency. Now, I have to say there is one skeleton in the closet here. But in saying this, I hope it doesn't undermine all of the positive. Brother Rulin, one time, several of his sons were over with me, and he was trying to have a family meeting and a family dinner. And he couldn't find out where they're at. So he drives over there. He sees them with me. And he hollers at them, you boys, you get over here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Food's waiting. No more of this. So I was kind of one of the bad guys. But I know Brother Rulin put his life on the line to save people's lives. Uh, he even delivered babies in Montana. <laughs> but that wasn't that often, but nevertheless. Uh, you To talk about the law of Sarah. Everybody, let me just say the bottom line of the law of Sarah, we've talked a little bit about that's extremely important. And that is, she has her stewardship. And when a wife comes in, we're getting now into courtship and marriage rules, which these are principles taught by Joseph Smith. That is, no man just walks around says wow that's a cute little chick over there uh, and he goes and wines and dines her and says oh let's get married and he he gets married and then he goes home and introduces him to his two other wives that's totally contrary to the principle of priesthood that wife are those wives that he has has a full right to accept, this is under the law of Sarah, to accept this new wife. And the priesthood keys must know. We, Bottom line, we can't have another Colorado City where we find out five men are trading wives with five other men and making two cows and a two ton of hay, and the priesthood doesn't know the uh, it's very clear, Brother Rune, and, and many, all the key holders will say this. God knows those women in the pre-existence where the covenants had been made between that man and those ladies in the pre-existence. And that is the first, the first obligation is to open up the door to that will happen. However, here's an exception. Once again, we get into agency. And 
I'm going to use myself as an example, even though I know there's other examples. But there was a lady that was supposed to come into our family, but her mother and her sister forbid it. So Brother Ruland said, well, I know that she's supposed to go into your family, but they forbid it. So under the rule of stewardship and agency, I, even I, the key holder, I cannot interfere with their agency. If that's what they choose to do, and they'll try to do it in a very honorable way, then I must, uh, providing the Lord says yes. And the Lord did. The Lord told him to let her go into the Southern family, even though he knew different. And some say, oh boy, oh, we would not ever allow that. Well, you, you've got a point where you've got to draw the line. We cannot take agency. And Brother Ruin told both me and Gloria Don, said, God will have to work this out when we go into the hereafter. Now, this happens happens numerous has happened numerous times. It's not just me. So a key holder has to make sure he protects the agency. Now, I'll just give you another example. Brother Ruland knew where a young lady was to go, had nothing to do with me. But, but Owen was the stepfather to this young lady. And Owen didn't want her to go where Ruin said the Lord wanted. Brother Ruin backed off. They have all agreed they want it the other way. God will still give his consent to perform the sealing, but I have no right to interfere with their agency. I'll have to turn it over to the Lord. Once again, that may sound like a contradiction. Some may say, well, that's very poor efficiency. Yeah, the adversary will be the very first one to say, well, that's poor efficiency. You can't be, do you got to force them. No, yep. Van Gogh cannot force them. You've got to make sure they have their agency. Brother <laughs> Ruben was a very powerful stickler on that. You make sure you provide agency. I remember different times when he put ceilings with with my family and others that I was there and I'm going to I'm just going to put Becky right now he took Becky to the side and said Becky is this your desire I want to hear it from you is this your desire and if she'd said no he'd walk back out and say sorry brethren we can't do this she has to do this because it's it's her choice you do not force a woman to marry where she doesn't want to marry. Okay. And that's and that's huge, right? That's huge when we start looking at the horror shows that happened in Colorado City under the Jess family, right? Where where they didn't have that kind of agency. They didn't have that kind of freedom, right? And so the fact that that this man who could have easily have decided, you know what? No, I hold the keys. It all stops here. He could have easily have done that, but he went in the other direction of protecting 
people and especially women's agencies and who it is they wanted to marry. And I, I, I feel like that that's a huge point that needs to be made here. Right. Because again, oftentimes we, we, we have to come in and we have to break down these stereotypes that have been left to us because of Warren Jeffs and, and the atrocities that happened in Colorado city. If you go back, I think you can see this with Musser and you can certainly see this obviously with, with Rulin Allred is this idea of protecting agency at all cost. Um, and, and that agency is sacred, right? Look, everything, everything in the world, the Lord can, can, can manipulate and make happen. The one thing he'll never try to do is to, to force us to give up our will, right? Our, our ability to give up our will and uh, our agency to our Father in heaven, that's on us to give. He's given us that, and it's, it's the one thing that is just sacred above all other. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, some of the things that I enjoyed talking to Rule about that were more more private, he didn't get into a lot. I've touched a couple or three of them. But one is to have your calling election made sure. That was very one. And another one that in reality, God commands all of his saints to learn to get revelation, men and women, not just the president of the priesthood or church, not just the apostles, not just priesthood men, but everybody is to recognize they have a responsibility to get revelation. And what? And then there, there's a there's a ladder you got to climb up to get that. You got to break your heart. You got to really fast. You got to really ask. But we cannot have the fullness of Zion without every individual involved there being able to get revelation. Otherwise, there's going to be hesitations when there's things asked to do. Now, currently, right now, not everyone gets revelation. So it doesn't mean, well, you're all condemned. We just keep working at it. But if everyone thinks, well, gee, I never have to get revelation. I can just go to my file leader. I can go to Michael. Now, Michael happens to be my file leader. I can just go to Michael. But Michael turns right around. Brethren, sisters, this is over the pulpit at Newberton. Learn to get revelation. Michael didn't come up with that on his own. That's been continuous. Joseph Smith taught it. We all need to. We, we need to seek. We need to seek to have this total oneness of mind and heart. And that's not going to happen simply because of education, simply because giving a talk. It's going to happen because we have a broken heart, a contrary spirit, and that we're earnestly believing that God can talk to us. Because, you know, God's not so big and fancy that he won't talk to a little grain of sand. That's why God is because he protects the right of the little sand in the, the whole desert. And he wants the whole thing, God's work and glory. And I'm, I'm quoting some of the things Ruin would say. 
God's work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. If some men want to get to the telestial kingdom, it's better than hell, and God will help him achieve that. They want to get to the terrestrial, terrestrial, he'll help them. It's not the celestial, but it's better than the telestial or hell. And if they want to get in the lowest degree of the celestial, he'll do everything he can. He won't force them, but he'll provide every bit. And and he, our work is, you know, our work specifically indifferent in the mother church, even though they don't hold the keys, God's using them. Brother Wilton would always talk about the good that they're doing. Even today, he would talk about the good they're doing to teach the basics. But our responsibility, and I'm, I'm, and these are things that Ruin would talk about behind the scenes, or he would code them and people wouldn't understand. We need, our brother need to qualify to become of the 144,000 high priest apostles because they will be the rulers under Jesus Christ. They will be the co-inheritors of Jesus Christ that will totally manage the world. They will all become gods. That's what Mormonism in its full effect is all about, to become gods. Going through the temple, Brother Ruin always wanted to do genealogy. He talked about genealogy. He did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of genealogy research. He promoted genealogy, he promoted temple work. I mean, the fullness of the gospel is not simply plural marriage, the united order, the law of consecration. It is everything. If you don't have everything, it's not the fullness, it's a portion. Too often, many fundamentalists, and I'm quoting Ruin, too many, well, I've got five wives, I've got 45 kids, so surely God's got it all me. But no, I, I could care less about doing any genealogy history or any of that. I, you know, because I got it made because I got five wives. And Brother Ruin says, that poor guy, he doesn't know, he won't even probably get into the celestial kingdom. Of course, there's example there. He could be good, but trying to point out you got to do it all you've got to do your temple work your genealogy work your missionary work you've got to pay your tithing you've got to pay consecration you've got to live united order you got eventually you've got to live in a patriarchal consecrated order but just living in it but i'm going to get one thing that's the simplest thing in the world that brother Ulan would talk about he said, I do the very best I can. Now, it's pretty hard if I get to bed at four o'clock in the morning and I got to get back and be at the office at eight. But almost every time I can, I will write down in my journal the basic things that took place that day. And then I will write down where I could have done it better. And I'll write next time I will do this better because brethren, sisters please do that and what he's trying to say is that we need to repent daily we need to constantly repent because if we're not walking on water and raising the dead 
and teleporting to the sun back and forth every day, we have not even come close to where we're supposed to. Because when it's all over, when it's all over and we become perfect and we become sanctified and translated, either that or we become resurrected, we need to seek to become translated. And how do you become translated? You don't just become translated because I went to 473 meetings and I paid $10,000 tithing. You become translated by going through repentance and manifesting charity and love and having a total, absolute eye single to the glory of God. I am preaching everything that Rulin would be preaching. This is all the things I've heard from Rulin. And I absolutely loved and adored him. And I knew there was men that were trying to kill him. And there's miracles. And I'm talking long before LeBaron's got persuaded by the Le, by uh, uh, the Illuminati. The Illuminati was the intelligence. The LeBarons were simply the the manifestation of killing him. But Brother Rulin had to get rid of break up marriages. I know a marriage, there were several wives and the man was molesting his daughters. Brother Rulin said, sorry, but I have to release all your wives. Now, I know of two of the wives that said, okay, we'll move on. But I know two of the wives that said, no, we want to stay with. Brother Rulin says, well, you've got your agency, but just so that you know, you're living in adultery because he has not reached the point of repentance. Wow. So what kind of father was Rulin? Brother Rulin, Brother Rulin liked every Monday, whenever it was possible, he would have a time when he would not do anything with anybody else no other people's meetings, no interviews, no marriages, unless it was a critical problem or there's a baby case, emergency. And he gathered all of the families together that could gather together. And they would play pinochle. They would sing. They would do shows. He would give them blessings. He would try to personally talk to each one of them as he possibly could. Obviously, he couldn't get it around it all the time. Uh, he, he wanted to know who they were. He wanted to know their soul. And if he didn't have time, he'd ask the mothers, you know, so-and-so is missing a tooth. Well, how did that happen? Well, just got to that point, it fell out. Oh, that's good. So they weren't in a fight then. No, it just fell out, Rune. <laughs> Brother <laughs> uh, Rulin would, whenever he could, he liked to have wherever, he, when there was a break, he'd like to, to take whatever kids and wives he possibly could. And they'd go into the hills and hike, and he would walk and he would tell them about this shrub and that weed and this herb. They'd go fishing, and he was a good fisherman, he was a good hunter. Uh, I don't remember hearing too many stories about the hunting, just to know that that he did all that. Uh, 
he wanted to take time and he wanted to take time. He always organized his life so that he had, whenever it was possible, he had one or more wives with him. Uh, because, you know, at the end, he had 16 wives. But most of the time that I knew him, and I say most of the time, prior, prior to maybe the last, uh, I'm just guessing on this, 1974, this is a guess, make sure that's understood. He had about 11 wives that he would deal with. And he would take those wives, but four actually died. He had 16, of course, two left. But like one time, I, I will give this, I will give this situation. There was some serious problems that it did involve my sister, which had been investigating and she was trying to stay away from an ex-husband. And he got the FBI and the Salt Lake County Sheriff's involved. And Brother Rulin was working with me to try to help me do what was best so that I wouldn't get in trouble. And yet I'd be protected and protect her. Uh, forgive me, I just, I totally lost my thought. No problem. Uh, um, we were talking about Ruin and, and how, what he was like as a father. Oh, yes. Now, okay. So I went to meet him. I went to meet him one night. And we talked for a little bit of a while. And then all of a sudden he thought, oh, my word. I'm supposed to be to a baptism. So he went and got his wife. And he said, you can come if you'd like. And. Almost any time he would go to the different places, he would take one or two wives. And some may say, you mean he would never be alone with them? Well, yes, he would be. When it's time to go to bed, he'd be alone with the wife. And he wasn't alone with the wife to, well, gee, I've got to catch up on my sex appetite. He'd be alone with the wife, say, cry my shoulder. Let me hear what's going on with you. Uh, what do you want me to say to you? What do you need to know? How can I comfort you? What are the children you want me to consider needing to help? Uh, what are we lacking in the way of food storage? Uh, do you just want to cry on my shoulder and I'll just listen? He, 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 he loved his children. He was good to his children. He loved his wife. Now, am I to say that he never told them off or got after him? That's not true. He did tell them off. But am I also wanting to make sure once there was someone was corrected, he was constantly there to show them love. And if he did get after him and they did get chastised or, or told that they had done something wrong, he made sure that he loved them, let them know that he cared about and loved them. Uh, he tried very much to do things. And there were, in that I was, I became a relative through marrying his brother's daughter we were invited to the reunions from time to time <laughs> wow and i know brother rulin was pretty good at water fighting <laughs> <laughs> there was as much water as any of the kids <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So I, I feel like that really paints a good picture of, of who the man is, right? And what he was about. I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about a sensitive subject now. And that was how Rulin passed beyond the veil and what happened there. Okay. Uh, Brother Rulin. Now, some will say, well, how in the world do you know this? And it would take a while to, to give documentation. Uh, if we have time, that could be done. But Brother Rula knew at least two years in advance that he was going to, to go and that he was going to go in an unnatural way. But he did not reveal that to anybody. Well, I won't say he didn't reveal it to anybody, but I never heard it being announced. I did hear two or three people Years later, they went through their journal and said, wow, he said, I have got to do this by this date. I've got to get all this done, which led them to realize, well, that was the date in that same area that he died. He had a premonition that he was going to go. He knew he had to have his blood shed in order for him to fulfill his mission. Not everyone's supposed to do that, but he changed the, he just changed the dispensation and he knew he had to have his bloodshed. And if you can imagine him saying to his wives, well, ladies, one of these days, I know it's gonna happen. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get shot to death. Oh no, well then don't go to, to work that day. Uh, stay home constantly that's not the way it's supposed to be my dears he would say we've got to go day by day and do whatever it is that will be the most pleasing to the lord uh mm. he he gave the keys as near as we can get the records he gave the presiding keys to gerald peterson senior probably in the early fall of 1976. Uh, there's been a lot of criticisms and problems, which wasn't new. Uh, Rulin had gone through it, and Gerald Peterson was going through it. But Gerald Peterson came to me we were in the order. I was assisting him in leading the Montevue order there at Sandy. And we met in a little building. Well, it wasn't all that little, but it was in the end storage. It was a two level. We'd meet down there in the summer. It was cool. In the winter, we could shut the door and have a little heater and we'd be private. Uh, says, Brother Rulin, I'm discovering is complaining against me and it's breaking my heart i have a list of things here that i would like to present to him and of course in this discussion we talked about maybe a dozen things that was just one of a dozen and finally he said you know i'm going to ask god what he wants me to do 
few days later, he said, God told him, turn this over to me. Do not approach Ruin on any of these things. Then a few days later, Ruin called. Said, Gerald, Jerry, I need you to come see me as soon as possible. So I'm telling you how it, how it actually turned out because I didn't know all of it at the time. I didn't know the whole thing till after. But Brother Ruin, when, when he gets there, he says, the Lord has personally chastised me, but I am out of order that I have negatively affected your mission and that I must get your forgiveness. I must repent of this and get your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And Grandpa said, yes, I absolutely I'll forgive you. And he says, further, the Lord has told me that I am now to give you the presiding keys, but you cannot pass that on at this time without my permission. So he gave him the key. Now, <clears throat> Brother Rulin, so we now get into the latter part of 1976. And I apologize without me going back to all of the journals, I can't tell you for sure, but in general, it could have been October, November, even December of 1976, Brother Ruland, oh, we are also now trying to impeach President Carter, not just in Utah, but nationwide. And Brother Rulin is starting to get more and more and more threats. They're calling his family, calling the office, letting him know that if, you, if he doesn't cease and desist this, you won't have a husband, which was putting fear in them. And, and Owen wanted him to, to cool it. His wives are ruling. The Lord's commanded me to do this. I've got to do this. Uh, in the School of the Prophets, which was the first Sunday of every month, and only a handful of brethren were invited to that. There's, you know, maybe several thousand brethren, but there was only maybe 25 that were invited, and I happened to be blessed to be one of those. In trying to do this with impeaching Carter, uh, there were those that were cooperating quite well, and there was those that were resisting. But in the School of the Prophets, he opened up more and more, and he was giving a report. So two months before he died on that Monday, he said, we are making progress. Bill Kerner was the one he put in charge to go nationwide. Bill Kerner had been in, he'd been work, worked in Washington, he'd been in the military, he knew a lot of generals, a lot of other things. Uh, and he'd had some miracles, absolute miracles. That's a whole story in itself, where numerous times he should have got killed, and he didn't. He converted people to Mormonism because they said, <laughs> if you're awake, if you're alive tomorrow morning, I'm joining your church. <laughs> and sure enough, he was alive. <laughs> anyway, he joined the fullness. So he would deal with all over. So there was big progress. Then the very two weeks before, 
Ruin got killed on the 10th, and I think it was the very last or the very first day of May. I think it was the very first day of May. I might be wrong. It may have been the second. I've lost track now. But anyway, School of Prophets, 7 o'clock in the morning, says, Brethren, the Illuminati, I'm quoting, the Illuminati now knows who it is that's trying to impeach Carter. And they are. It is the responsibility of the priesthood to bear witness to the wickedness that's going on. And we must go to the doors of the very Illuminati and bear witness to that wickedness. Now, that's probably 80% word for word that he said. May not, may not have been perfect. Now, the night before, there was a re wedding reception. And Gloria Dawn had had a dream, either one or two years before, that in this dream, Ruin would come walking up to her and say, my dear, I am going to give your daughter Charity a patriarchal blessing in the very near future. And that happened. So Gloria Dawn said, I know something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen when because that dream. Uh, so now the next day in the morning, we have that. And you, oh, probably three or four weeks before that, two brethren. Many had volunteered, my father-in-law being one of them. Well, I had several father-in-laws, but Ivan Baker could be a bodyguard for him because he was getting more than normal threats. Uh, and two brethren, John Ray, and I don't remember who the other one was. Neither one of them knew the other one was outside of his residence in a car. They both had guns. And then they, they're starting to keep an eye on the one. And then they suddenly realize, oh, that's brother so-and-so, that's brother. Ooh, put the gun away. Uh, brother Ruin, when he heard that, he said, brethren, no more. I don't want that anymore. I am not, and I'm quoting the, the idea that he presented. Brethren, God knows when I'm supposed to die, and it will not happen a minute sooner. But when it's supposed to happen, it will happen. I do not want any of my brethren getting killed in trying to protect me. So I don't want this anymore. I'm telling you, cease and desist. Now, if you read that whole sentence, you realize that he's knowing that it's going to happen. Uh, right. Now, I'm, I'm building this up. Okay. Now, there's a whole bunch involved in him dying. It's not just a matter, well, we got to pay the funeral bill. Uh, it's a, it's, we have a man that's in charge of the kingdom of God, political charge of the well he wasn't in charge of the church even though he had rights to be in charge but he was well at that time David Omake passed away so there was not that relationship anymore but he was the presiding priesthood key holder and there's a lot of things that has to be done 
he looks and i'm i'm condensing this down sure he realizes when i was given the keys this whole group spilled up so bad that it broke my heart and i told joseph i don't want him give him to somebody else joseph said that's not the way god wants it but joseph it's going to split up there's so many people that hate me they don't like me i mean the majority of the people don't like me ruling and then you could see the majority of the people did not like Gerald Peterson. So how do you do this? How do you keep good people advancing and those that want to be higher than good people learning? Here's how you do it. You take Brother Owen and you bless him publicly that he will be the leader of this group of people. You bless him with inspiration, guidance, understanding and patience that he will lead these people in righteousness, but you do not give him the keys, but you bless him with everything that's needed to lead those people. And then you've already given the keys to Gerald Peterson Sr. So he reminds and I'm very, very, very good friends with some of these kids, and in particular one that's Carol Ann, uh, uh, a very sweet, sweet girl. And I say girl, she's 80-some <laughs> she's years old, but she's still a, a sweet girl. And she, so, several of the kids, the day he got killed, he went out of his way to say, I love you above normal, more than normally. Huh. I love you, honey. I love you. Remember, I love you. And Carol Ann said, he just made sure. He said, I want you to know I love you. Oh, I love you too, Daddy. Uh, I, I'm absolutely convinced that he knew it. Okay. Now, so he's inside there. Now, you know, in that this is going to be public, what I'm saying, there's some things I'm hesitant to go into. Sure. I will say, I will just say, I do believe, without giving any names, that there was some people that didn't like Rulin, that interconnected with the LeBarons, and helped provide information to get him at the right time. Mm. That's my belief. I won't go into names. Now, so when it happened, it was bang, bang, bang. I wasn't there. I was down here. Uh, I know several weeks before when I was in Paquin, or not Paquin, Sandy, before we actually started moving, so it's probably two months, six weeks, two months. I know I was outside getting ready to go to work and I was in a rush. I'd been in school because uh, I, I taught two, I taught a class in the very beginning in the early morning. I had my own business so I could regulate my schedule. 
and I hadn't had a lot of time other than bam, bam, do everything I need to do. And I saw Gloria and said, hi, honey, what's going on? How you doing? Even though she was in the school herself. And she looked very serious. And what's going on? She said, well, mom says that Joseph Musser came to dad last night and said he's going to soon come get ruling. And of course, that shook me up. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to hear such a thing. My, I had a mental block. I don't want to hear anything about. And I was down here when he actually got killed. So I was up there that weekend that we talked about, just talked about both for the wedding reception, which was Eric Jarris's, which was his daughter, Melanie, and it was Koya's brother, uh, Jarris, that they got married. Then the next morning, the the school of prophets and him talking about that. Of course, that, whoa, that rung in my mind all the time. This is, then when Gloria Dawn says something's going to happen, I know something's going to happen. Uh, because that dream just got fulfilled last night. And she'd either had it one or two years before, which she's always been psychic. She'll have things like that. Uh, so I bring a load down here. I'm down here working. And here comes Lynn Wild, which is the brother of Ted Wild from St. George. And he and Lynn talked for a few minutes. And uh, I'm still doing a little digging, kind of getting ready to close up for the night. And Ted and Lynn come over and Ted says, Lynn's got something he's got to tell you. Rulin has been killed. And I fell to the ground. I totally lost my energy. I just borderline passed out. Mm -hmm. I kept calm, but I was just, I just absolutely fell to the ground. I could hardly get up and hardly get my breath. And Ted said, well, how do you want to go and tell the girls? So it took a while for me to get my breath back. And we had two of grandpa's wives and one of mine here at the time and their kids we got them into the room and, and uh, I said we've just been informed that Rulin has been killed of course it was heartbreaking to them but some of them Elaine had already had a dream several weeks before that Ruin was going to be taken. And in the dream, Elaine was Owen's daughter. In the dream, Jesus and the, the original worthy 12 apostles came out of the ceiling, totally encircled him, and Jesus handed him this big key of rings. And Elaine said, that dream, I know that my dad's not going to hold the keys. It's going to be grandpa. Uh, anyway, so I'm not being there. I can just report several shots. Uh, he ne they never, two ladies, they never tried to shoot any other person. But they came back and forth. Uh, they left and they walked back out and tried to shoot again. 
to make sure that he was dead. Uh, now, here's where I'm telling, I'm putting pieces together. Brother Rulin talked to several loved ones in the next little while, but he went very soon to Gerald Peterson Sr. Very soon, meaning it was probably less than an hour because when Rulin got killed, the word spread and, and I think it was Bill Bowles, but I'm not sure, called the office. And Koya answered the phone because she was working in the office there at Mangonite in Provo. And she handed it to Grandpa. He was just writing something down for one of the patients because they said Rulin's been killed, so she handed it to Grandpa. And when he heard Rulin's been killed, he says, oh, murder. Koya. Mm. Can't have any more patients. I think there was only one left anyway. Closed down. So probably within 20 minutes, they all went upstairs. In the have you ever been in the Mangonite? No. Do you even know what it is? Uh yes. Okay, it's a four-story building. One of the stories is in the ground. Anyway, so they're upstairs, and he is in in that one bigger room that was uh, a room for private lectures, uh, experimenting, testing. Uh, he did things with different uh, types of organic and minerals, gold, uh, medicines. He would mix them and make them or build them in there. We had numerous times we would meet there and have, well, in their order, there was times, sometimes I would be down there and we would, because Koya stayed there during the week and uh, we would have meetings on learning how to get revelation and it would be in that room. Anyway, he was in there. Now, Gloria, I mean, Koya and Grandma, that's for certain, but I'm not sure about Lana. But the piece that I've understand that they were together and then Lana is going to go downstairs. So she's going downstairs and she's very psychic. As she's walking downstairs, she sees Ruin walking upstairs. And he says, hi, Lana. And she says, hi, Brother Ruin. And then all of a sudden she stops. Oh, she looks back to see and she doesn't see him. Well, that's when he's in there and he says, Jerry, you remember me giving you the keys and now I'm enacting no keys. You must put them into force. He didn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Nobody will follow me. I mean, you can't be serious, Rula. Nobody's going to follow me. Plus, it was already been very clearly announced that Owen had been given the direction to lead the people. So, Grandpa, I don't. This part I don't know. 
he may have thought, well, maybe Rulin changed his mind and just decided to give him to Owen. But then Rulin, no, he's to be the leader of the AUB or the, the wasn't called AUB yet. It's called the, the Alwa group. But you are hold the keys and you are to move forward. Well, there's conversation back and forth. And for several weeks, he had a very bad sciatic pain that went down one of his legs. I don't remember which one coming out of the lumbar. Brother Ruland says, I'm going to I'm going to bless you right now. To be assigned to you that this is serious and that God wants you to do this. Instantly had no pain. And then wow. left. Well, when Rulin left there, then he appeared to Gloria Dawn in Sandy. And all of a sudden, she saw him. And she was a little astonished. And a man by the name of Abraham saw him, which has passed away now. They both saw him. But then Rulin said to Gloria Dawn, Gloria, I want you to know that I have given your dad the keys. And you are to let everybody in this estate know, or this building, or, or this United Order know that I have given him the keys. Now, those are two things that directly affect me on a very personal basis. But I have talked with others, which I can't remember all of them that he came and talked with them for just one minute and gave him some kind of comfort or encouragement or hope, told him that he loved him or gave him an answer to something. Uh, now, I was in total shock being down here and I just, I was just overwhelmed. I. I didn't have a witness who would hold the keys. From logic, Owen Allred would hold the keys. But I knew Owen Allred did not get revelation. I knew he was a good guy, a very kind man, honest man, but I knew he didn't get revelation. Numerous times, ruling to be in the hospital. And I needed to get some key level answers. So I said, well, I'll go to Brother Owen and ask him. He'd give me direction. But if I left, I thought, you know, I'm just going to hold off on this. So maybe a week later, Rulin would be out of the hospital. And I wouldn't tell Owen that I did this. And I didn't tell Rulin. But I'd already asked Owen. I'd just give him the same question. And he would give me an answer. And I knew that the answer Rulin gave was under the inspiration of, of the Holy Ghost. I knew the answer that came from Owen wasn't evil. It was just practical. And I've been around Owen enough. He's my father-in-law. I worked with him, an honest man. He wouldn't, I mean, he would do anything for anyone that was in need. Anyway, so I was struggling. Oh, my word. Well, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm stressed because there had been persecution prior, a lot of ridicule, 
prior for a couple of months. And when we ended up going to Paquin, Brother Rulon, there's a lot of pieces I'm not even talking about because there's not time. But Brother Rulon had asked Gerald Peterson to do several projects. But in each case, it involved cons consent of the council and or finances, which he, he wanted the council to sustain it. And they'd said no. One particular one was Cedar Forts, just just on the the west side of the mountain range where the Utah lakes at, just on the opposite side. And that particular side I was personally involved in because we got in his plane, grandpa's, Gerald Seniors, and we flew over, took pictures. I took pictures while he flew of all of the property because there were several hundred acres and Ruin wanted all kinds of data, water logs, soil tests, samples, altitude, uh, everything for a design. And Grandpa had a just a, a rough basic design, presented it to him and Brother Ruin wanted him to go ahead and do it. He said, I've got to talk to the council and they voted it down. But it was one of about four things. So when have I talked with you about Paquin how to get Paquin? Yeah, yeah, no, you have. Um, Brother Orson, we're we're up against time here real quick, and I have loved this conversation, and I want to do more with you, but I have to wrap up right now. Okay. Um, is, well, hold on one second. Is there a way, before we end this, if I could just get you to bear your testimony of who Ruin was and what he meant to you? Praise the Lord, yes. Brother Ruin was the epitome of being a godly man like the Lord Jesus Christ to me. In the beginning that I knew him, I knew he wasn't perfect, but I knew he was determined with all of his heart to become perfect. In the latter few months, he kept putting his life on the line, and I knew that that man, I felt, my personal belief, I felt he'd reached a point that he was perfect according to his knowledge. Now, obviously, Joseph Smith knows more. Moses knew more. But according to his knowledge, which was superior to anybody else on the earth, I knew that he was the most perfect man that I'd ever met in the flesh. And I loved him. I trusted him. I'm so proud to know, and I'm so thankful to God that God provided the way that we had many very personal relationships, and he personally taught me things that even some of his family didn't even get taught. And I just feel overwhelmed that I had that privilege and that Gloria Dunn had that privilege. I know he was a man of God. I know he had the presiding keys of the priesthood. I know that he personally had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that he, I know that he knew his Redeemer. I know that he knew the Lord and dealt with the Lord. I know that he dealt with the prophet Joseph Smith. Praise the Lord. 
Now, I could go on and on and on. I knew that he was a gentleman. I knew he was kind. I knew he was well-educated. I knew that he cared about everybody. I knew that he had brothers and sisters that didn't like the fullness at all, but he'd always be kind to them. He'd always care for them. Uh, I knew that he was a morally clean man. He was of the highest level of virtue that you can possibly be. There was absolutely no vice, immorality in that man. When he delivered babies, he interconnected with, the, with God, the Heavenly Father. Let me bring forth. He had respect for womanhood. He protected. He loved women to be virtuous. He, under, he understood male and female bodies. He knew that they were they were temples of God, not just flesh, holy temples. Um, he was a friend. He was a patriarchal leader. He was a key holder. Many times he was kind to me. There's numerous times he answered my questions when I knew he was tired. And I. I could say more and more, but no, I think I, I think that's fantastic. Orson, thank you so much for coming on here and telling the the story about uh, these stories about Rulin. I I can't stress enough how there's certain men men in Mormonism whose footprints get left for forever, and Rulin is definitely one of those men. So the fact we could take this time and talk about it. And we can pass this on to those who listen to this podcast. I can't thank you enough for going into some very sensitive and, and um, sometimes painful places. And uh, I, I love you and I can't wait to have you back on because there's, there's other things I'd love to talk to you about. You have a wealth of knowledge and experience that, that I definitely want to dive into. So I, I really do appreciate you and, and your willingness to talk here on the podcast. God bless. It's been a very pleasure. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.